Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that is done with libs. Today we have Laura, Talon, and Jules. And today we are talking about how Democrats are once again fucking shit up. Uh, You know, when Biden was sworn in, Democrats had control of the presidency, Senate, and House of Representatives for the first time in over a decade. But instead of, you know, providing life-saving services to average Americans or doing pretty much anything helpful, the Biden administration has basically been non-existent. Just as a reminder, uh, presidents have enormous unilateral power if they choose to use it. Like, we definitely saw that with Trump, um, mostly in really scary ways. Um, And I do also feel like conservatives are more likely to use that rather than, like, Democrats, because Democrats are concerned about, like, their identity uh, and looking like they're using too much of their power. But um, so Biden doesn't need Congress to cancel student debt, which as a reminder, as a candidate, he called for forgiveness of a minimum of $10,000 per person. Uh, He could make marijuana effectively legal or force drug companies to lower prices, an issue that Democrats have supported for 30 years. And Biden has done none of these things. And as a fun little note for the political circus, if Republicans win back the Senate this year in, in November of 2022, it's very likely that Biden will be impeached. There's like a plan in place from Republicans for that to happen. Uh, yeah, there's obviously so much about the past few years and this current time that's such a mess. I think one thing that we definitely have to talk about is the pandemic and what the federal response to that has been. Um I think it's worth saying that we have literally been in a pandemic since Biden took office. And that's been a big part of like how he has branded his presidency in terms of responding to that. Um, But thinking about what he's actually done, it's like he's done some better things than Trump, especially in terms of like sort of like messaging type of things, like not actively promoting false medical information, which, you know, is good. Um, I think the vaccination effort has also been a positive from him in some ways in terms of like coordinating to some degree with state vaccine rollout, which is something that Trump failed to do and just was like, everyone figure it out for yourselves. Um, Obviously, we have to include the caveat here that Biden has dragged his feet on helping anyone outside the U.S. get access to the vaccine. We're starting to see a little bit of that, um, but that's something that we talked about in more detail a while ago on our episode about public health and vaccine patents. Um, So I don't think we need to get too much into that here, but that is just like a caveat to him being somewhat better on vaccine stuff in the U.S. Um, I think also in a lot of ways, Trump and Biden have had really similar policy in terms of like the main goal sort of being reopen the economy, resume regular economic activity at the expense of people's lives and safety. Um, And, you know, from Trump, that was more just saying that like, this isn't a big deal at all and it's fine. And from Biden, what we've more seen is like, get vaccinated, wear a mask sometimes and resume life fully as normal and resume like go back to work go to your job 
Um, especially with the Omicron variant, I think we're really seeing how that's not enough um, and how even in a moment of worsened crisis, because I think we're kind of in a constant time of crisis right now, um, he's not willing to really change that messaging very much. Um, Like basically just pushing for cities to reopen everything without any clear federal guidance on vaccine or mask requirements so that every state and every city kind of has its own specific policies around that. Um, And that's leading to a lot of people getting sick or at least contributing to it. Um, People probably know that things are obviously very bad in New York right now. um, And over the last few weeks, it basically feels like everyone I know here has gotten sick. But honestly, a lot of people are also vaccinated here. Um, New York was the first city to implement a vaccine requirement for private sector workers. Um, And 94% of adults here now have at least one dose of the vaccine with most of those people being fully vaccinated at this point. Um, So I think it's just worth pointing out that like people probably have heard about like, I think New York was the focal point of things being really bad, um, especially like a few weeks ago. But I think like, what we're starting to see in other places as this new variant is spreading there is and probably will continue to be even worse in places where people, not as many people are vaccinated. Um, so I don't know. That's I think that's just something to like keep in mind in terms of the lack of federal response as well. Yeah, absolutely. I want to also emphasize what the CDC and White House are doing when they are protecting capital over people. So There's really no reason medically for the shortened isolation window from 10 to 5 days. People can argue that because there's a longer incubation time, it's likely that your exposure is earlier than you realize and that more days will have passed into your isolation anyhow. But the reality is we know very little about containing this virus in the United States, especially. In China, where the population is much larger, the death toll has been astronomically smaller In the United States, as of recording this on January 12th, 2022, there have been over 841,000 deaths due to COVID in the United States. That's fucking nuts. And when we think about the quote-unquote economy that these fuckers are trying to quote-unquote save, they're looking at this from a very neoliberal perspective. Like, oh, we need to get people back to work. I watched a series of TikToks by medical professionals talking about how if we continue on this trajectory, there will be no beds in any hospitals in the next couple of weeks. There's already many, many cities that have no beds available. And that means there's no beds for people who have heart attacks, strokes, car accidents, or other really dangerous uh, medical issues. It just means there's literally no beds. And it's wild to me that stopping the spread of this virus is just not a priority to the government, even though that is the reason that so many systems are crashing. There's labor issues because hundreds of thousands of working class people are dead. And now with that shortened window, employers can demand workers come in while they're still sick because the government says it's okay. Yeah, I actually wanted to take a second and just point out that like from this perspective, the Trump administration actually did a better job of dealing with COVID than the Biden administration has done. Like 
Trump sent out more stimulus money. Like we actually haven't gotten checks from Biden in almost a year. And it is um, worth remembering how they gave us $1,400 instead of the $200 that the campaign literally promised. And we're like, uh, can't you do math? It's like, no, we remember. Like <laughs> we remembered what you fucking said in 2000. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> like if there were, if you have seen graphs, you know, of the um, trends in new cases, the you know we flattened the curve we've just flattened it along <laughs> along the wrong axis if exactly. there was ever a time during the pandemic when we should be paying people to stay home it's literally right now mm-hmm. and like trump was also president when they boosted unemployment payments again in recognition of like extreme extenuating circumstances and again like biden allowed those to lapse yeah absolutely um it's it's fucking dark And yeah, as Jules said, this administration has at least been advocating for the vaccine, but they almost went too far in the other direction, putting all blame of the spread of COVID on unvaccinated people rather than themselves. And as a reminder, the largest group of unvaccinated people in the United States are children. It's literally so classic of the U.S. government to offset their duty to American people off on individuals, and it's going to blow up in their faces. Yeah, it's also like they could do more to force people to get vaccinated if they wanted to also. It's very just like pushing off responsibility. You run the FAA, require people to have a vaccine to fly. fly. It's not that fucking hard. It would be so fucking easy to do that as president. It requires a single signature. Right. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, And I'm sure people saw this because it was going around Twitter and stuff. But last month, Biden's press secretary mocked the idea that the federal government would send everyone at home testing kits when a reporter asked about it, Um, which, again, just feels like very much the bare minimum of what a government might do in a pandemic. But um, there was a lot of well-deserved backlash to that. And now the Biden administration is sort of trying to do some version of this, although they keep saying, like, you're going to have to request a test online and there aren't going to be enough for everyone. So it's more of like an additional option to how you can get tested, but they're not just going to, like, send them to every person. Um, Yeah. Just to add to that, Jules, it's also funny because it's like, just imagine yourself being like, hmm, I think I might have COVID. Let me go onto a government website, request a test, wait, like right. two days for it to be like, processed, two days for it to show up to my something. house, yeah. like then take it, then get the, like, are you fucking kidding me? It's yeah. Ridiculous. And I mean, that's been the case with private testing as well, where like sometimes the appointments are so far out that if you feel sick, it's still going to be like two weeks before you can even get a test. Um, But it's like you would hope that the government would be doing something to help with that, not just kind of repeating the same issues. Um, And I think like that is one big problem with the lack of coordinated federal planning around this. Like in New York, there are state-run testing sites, um, but there are plenty of places where there are not state-run sites. um, And it's just like at private pharmacies or like local nonprofits, which makes it even harder for people to get access to free testing, even though it is available, like every state has to have free testing. If you know that you have to go to CVS or something, you're probably going to assume you have to pay for it instead of like thinking that it's going to be free. Yeah, there's testing sites that prioritize like a fast turnaround, like two hours for a PCR test or whatever. And I saw one locally that was charging 
$170 per test. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, that's absurd. And even like the at-home tests that you can buy at like a pharmacy, when you can even find them, are like $15 to $20 per test, which like assuming people should be testing like weekly or something, that is way too much for a weekly expense for most people. Oh, totally. Um, I think also like, I don't know, just as we were thinking about this episode, I wanted to say that like, no part of me really thought this was going to happen with Biden as president, but I am disappointed that like Biden and just Democrats in general haven't really seized on this moment as a time to push for Medicare for all, or even just like any change to the private healthcare system that we have. And like starting to point out some of the ways in which that has made this crisis a lot worse in the U S and even just at a much smaller level of being like, all COVID-related care should be free, or even just, like, all tests will be free, um, which would be, like, a very small step to take towards, like, full Medicare for all. But um, I think that in cities that have relatively strong public health infrastructure, like New York, this has been a time where more people have kind of realized that that can be a real positive. Um, And obviously, we've seen, like, really long lines for testing in New York, um, especially around the holidays and with Omicron coming up. But like before that, the city run testing sites in New York have been way better and faster than the private ones. It's very clear that they're free. There's a lot of like public messaging around that. Um, And I think it's been like a good way for a lot of people to see just like from people that I've talked to friends and stuff who aren't necessarily like super up on Medicare for all or like healthcare policy in the US. It's just like been a way that they're like, oh, yeah, that's like public health care that is free at the point of service is great. It can actually work. Um, and I really like this. And I think it's just been like, it's been nice here, at least that that's been something that I think people have been able to look at and realize that free health care is an actual possibility. Um, but that's not the case in every city. And I think the federal messaging around it has still been very like means testy, like you can have a free test if you literally cannot afford any other option. But if you have insurance, you have to pay for it and then request reimbursement from your insurance company. So it's still harder to access. Yeah. And just like to to like drive this point home, this whole new um, program the Biden administration has implemented where you can get free tests there's like a couple of problems with it first of all you have to have insurance as jules was talking about it's not like a free point of service type of deal you have to get like compensated for it after the fact after you pay up front you have to have the time energy and computer literacy to actually file your own claim and obviously insurance companies make it as difficult as possible to file claims and then you have to actually like wait around to be compensated yeah, it's it's fucking nuts. So what um, we're talking about is there's this new thing that the Biden administration just launched that if you have private insurance, you can get up to eight free at home testing kits reimbursed per month. However, that does nothing for the most vulnerable, um, which are people on Medicaid and Medicare. We don't get the benefit from the government and we're the people who are most likely to be underemployed, disabled or elderly. And it also doesn't help people who don't have insurance at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I mean, like, I think one of the biggest issues with Obamacare as well has been people who are like, 
just barely over that line where they technically are closed out from Medicare and Medicaid, but like they can't really like easily afford private insurance. And there's just that like swath of people who probably don't have the disposable income to be buying tests, but also won't be able to qualify for like a fully free test. Um, yeah, lot lot of terrible shit. Um, another terrible thing that we wanted to talk about um, <laughs> this, is this episode brought to you by the end of the yeah. world. <laughs> so true. Um, the situation in schools has also been, um, yeah, just like a nightmare during this time. Um, I wanted to read a little bit from this Reddit post that's kind of been going around um, that was written by a high schooler um, at a New York City public school. Um, so I, I guess I'll just read this. It's pretty short. So they wrote, I'm a New York City public high school student. The situation is beyond control. I'd like to preface this by stating that remote learning was absolutely detrimental to the mental health of myself, my friends, and my peers at school. Despite this, the present conditions within schools necessitate a temporary return to remote learning, if not because of public health, then because of learning loss. A story of my day. I arrived at school and promptly went to study hall. I knew that some of my teachers would be absent because they had announced it on Google Classroom earlier in the day. At our school, there's a board in front of the auditorium with a list of teachers and seating sections for students. Today, there were 14 absent teachers first period. There are 11 sections within the auditorium. Three classes sat on the stage. Study hall has become a super spreader event. Second period, I had another absent teacher, more of the same from first period. It was around this time that 25% of kids I know, including myself, realized that there were no rules being enforced outside of attendance at the beginning of the period and that cutting class was ridiculously easy. We left because there was functionally no learning occurring within the study hall and health conditions were safer outside of the auditorium, which was well beyond max capacity. Third period, I had a normal class period, hooray. First thing the teacher did was pass out COVID tests because we had all been close contacts to a COVID positive student in our class. Four more teachers would pass out COVID tests throughout the day, which were to be taken home. The school started running low on tests and rules had to be refined to ration. Quote, to be taken home. Yeah, students don't listen. 90% of the bathrooms were full of students swabbing their noses. I had one kid ask me with his mask down, by the way, whether a faint line was positive, proceeding to show me his positive COVID test. I told him to go to the nurse. One student tested positive in the auditorium and a few students started screaming and running away from him. There was now a lack of available seats given there was a COVID positive student within the middle of the auditorium. Classes that I did attend were quiet and empty. Students are staying home because of risk of COVID without testing positive as they should. And some of my classes had 10 plus students absent. Nearly every class has listed myself and others as close contacts. I should note that in study hall and with subs, we literally learned nothing. I spent about three hours today sitting around doing nothing. I tested positive for COVID on December the 14th. At the time, there were a total of six cases. By the end of break, this number was up to 36. By January the 3rd, when we returned from break, the numbers were up to 100. Today, there are 226. This is around 10% of my school. As of Monday, only 30 or so of whom were reported to the Department of Education, which just seems like negligence to me. 90% oh of the conversation. Yeah, I'm like, also like what? Um, 
90% of the conversations spoken by students concern COVID. It has completely taken over any function of daily school life. Um, and that's the end of the post. Mm. So I, there's like so much to unpack within that. One thing to note is that this is from um, one of the more like well-resourced public schools in New York City. So given that it's like if this is the situation at one of the fanciest schools with like the wealthiest families sending their kids there what are things like at other schools yeah, um, totally and this feels like something that the federal government could really help with especially in public federally funded schools like they could literally tie funding to different requirements um but federal education guidance released two weeks ago, so after Omicron started spreading intensely, is still stressing the importance of keeping schools open above all else and allowing kids to come to school, even if their parents or guardians test positive for COVID. And like generally just pushing off a lot of the actual decision making and logistics around this to states and local school districts. Um, I also think it's worth noting that while schools have a system in place to close and go back to remote learning, this issue isn't just limited to teachers and students. Um, like a lot of my friends who work in grocery stores and restaurants right now have been saying that it's like weekly, if not more frequent, that employees are testing positive for COVID. And since businesses are trying to stay open and that is the federal guidance, they keep making most people come into work even if they've likely had some form of exposure. Um, in like some smaller businesses, I've even heard about people just being told to come into work if they test positive, if they're asymptomatic, um, or if like their partner or roommate is sick and they haven't tested positive, but like they've definitely been a close contact. Yeah, I just just to jump in to echo what you're saying, Jules, my partner um, works at a restaurant and um when like right before christmas there were like 20 people work at this restaurant it's not a big restaurant six people were out with covid one of them was the bartender who lives with the chef the chef was still coming into work every day despite the fact that he lives yeah. with someone who works at that business who the boss knew about who was out with covid and it's just because like you know like the chef has to pay rent like he's not gonna it's not like there's you know any kind of federal assistance in place for people who have to miss work because they're sick or because they should be quarantining because they live with someone who's sick it was just like this is what I have to do to survive so like I'm gonna go and I totally like I don't hold that against him you know what I mean but at the same time I was like holy shit like Matthew's gonna get sick how, like how do you avoid COVID in a situation like that yeah right it's very dark. Um, the whole system really is garbage. And I also wanted to take a moment to talk about what's happening in the Chicago public schools, where our lovely former co-host and current alderman candidate, Ambria, works. So in early January, the Chicago Teachers Union voted to return to online learning. After that decision was made, Chicago Public Schools closed on January 5th at the behest of Democratic Mayor Lori Lightfoot. The teachers were locked out of Google Classrooms in what they have been calling the Lori Lockout. This unhinged mayor who controls Chicago Public Schools is considering the union's actions an illegal work stoppage. And Lightfoot warned that teachers who do not show up um, will be on no pay status. Without a compromise, the city will pursue a lawsuit alleging illegal labor practices. 
Yeah, and I just wanted to note that there is a deal on the table right now between CTU, which is the teachers union, and the city. Um, So school was closed for five days, as Laura mentioned, but teachers and students did go back to physical school yesterday, which when we're recording yesterday was Tuesday, January 11th. Um, And CTU rank and file is currently voting on the deal. So just some info on that deal. And this comes from a Chicago Tribune article. The CPS, CPS is Chicago Public Schools. The CPS proposal would allow a school to go virtual when 30% or more of a school's classroom teachers are absent for two consecutive days because they tested positive. Um, But if 29% of people are out one day, we're all like coming back in tomorrow. Um, Or when more than 40% of a school's population population has been directed to quarantine or isolate during a COVID-19 surge. Uh, COVID-19 testing would be available to all staff this week. Um, And the proposal also calls for additional testing opportunities for symptomatic students. K-95 masks would be distributed to staff and students under CPS's plan, which does not specify the number of masks that will be dispensed. The proposal would also allow school safety leaders to restore the daily health questionnaire from last school year to enter the buildings, allow schools to expand contact tracing efforts, and allow the district to increase stipends for substitute teachers. And so these, I mean, maybe these measures sound good. I don't know, but they they fall like pretty far short of what CTU was initially demanding. So like, for example, like CTU wanted a much more robust testing mechanism for students, basically that students, they would be automatically opted into testing and that their parents would have to opt them out for them not to get tested. And Lori Lightfoot shut that down immediately. So anyway, we'll definitely be watching to see if the deal goes through this week. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare. Um, and as Jules pointed out with those numbers from that high school student in New York City, schools are a hazard zone. And the fact that teachers and students have to fight the government on this and advocate for themselves is truly nuts. The White House, of course, commented on the dispute, saying it's safe for schools, including in Chicago, to safely continue in-person learning. Um, So once again, the government does not care about the spread of this virus and only cares about retaining some semblance of normalcy. However, as the high school student on that Reddit post so eloquently pointed out, there is no normalcy right now. All anyone is talking about is this virus, and regular learning is not possible. I genuinely think students could have missed a whole year of school, and it would have been a better option. People in the United States can't fathom disrupting our rote K-12 learning in that way, but it's not fucking worth it. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out, too, that Obviously, the federal government wants to keep schools open so that kids can be in school so their parents can continue going to work. Um, And that, like, again, economic factors are a huge motivation here rather than, like, actual health and learning of students. Um, So I also wanted to talk a little bit about what Biden has done on immigration um, and also on policing, um, partly because I think these are two really big issues that under Trump are things that more liberals started to be aware needed changes. Um, So Biden has been slightly better than Trump on deportations, although not a lot. Um, And there have been fewer ICE arrests overall since he took office, which is all good. um, But Biden has done very little to change overall immigration policy in the U.S. Um, As of last year, there were still more children being put into immigration detention than being released from it. Yeah. um, 
funny how that whole like kids in cages line disappeared as soon as Biden won the election. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's rough. And I mean, I think like a lot of us knew that that would happen, but it is still disappointing to see like big liberal commentators just like totally change their tune once it's a Democratic president instead of a Republican president. Um, So I was just looking at some numbers on this. The average amount of time that children spend in these facilities has decreased under Biden from about 40 days down to about 30 days, which is like not a big change and also still 30 days too long. Um, I do think it's good that we're seeing sort of like ever fewer deportations since the Obama administration, which was kind of the height of deportations in the U.S. Um, But it's also concerning that like a lot of the policies that Obama started and then Trump really ramped up aren't really being like changed in a significant way. We're still on this path of like overall extremely harsh um, and like policies that are focused on incarcerating a lot more people than have been previously. Um, Overall, I think that Trump's immigration policies were just like so extreme and terrible, especially coming after eight years of like also quite bad policy from Obama that we've started to see like mainstream public opinion to some degree, especially I think like the average white liberal opinion has shifted to be a little bit more pro-immigrant rights. Um, But Biden has more been doing like the bare minimum, if that, to meet the shifting public opinion rather than like seizing on it and trying to push that and really like do things to change immigration policy in this country most of what he's done so far has actually just been reversing some of the most extreme Trump policies, like Trump just very suddenly and haphazardly trying to end DACA. Um, But for example, Biden also had a campaign promise that he was going to make DACA permanent, which he still has not done. Um, He hasn't even fully ended border wall construction. His administration has continued to litigate eminent domain cases to like sees plots of land for the wall to be built on that were started by Trump, um, which is, I think, just a good example of how much he's just following what the status quo was under Trump. Yeah, like just another example in this pattern is the so-called stay in Mexico policy, which, by the way, is actually literally illegal under international humanitarian law. Um, And that requires asylum seekers coming into the United States from Central and South America through Mexico to stay in Mexico while awaiting a hearing. Um, Trump's policy was to, like, in general, was to just, like, do shit. And if the court stopped them, then, like, okay, we'll deal with that. But obviously, Biden is taking a different tact. Biden is now asking the Supreme Court if it's okay for them to stop the stay in Mexico policy. And it's like, all right, asking for permission like this only serves to, you know, like circumscribe your own authority, which is bad, um, reinscribe the power of the Supreme Court, bad, and make it extremely likely that the policy position that you actually like want becomes practically impossible to pursue, which is also bad. So just a terrible politics all around. Big time bad. I mean, I think it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too, that like Republican presidents and especially Trump will just like literally do whatever they can to make their policies happen. And then like Democrats tend to be much more like, oh, we're trying to like compromise and work across the aisle. And it's like you're literally just doing nothing. Then, like That's the result of that. Um, 
I don't know. I think it's clear that Biden's immigration policy has been better than Trump's, but like not by a lot. And that's a very low bar. Um, in terms of policing, Biden has also failed to meet some of his biggest campaign promises around it. Um, one of his plans within the first hundred days of his presidency was supposed to be creating a national police oversight commission, which I think we can debate whether that would even be something that would be helpful. I don't think it would be. Um, and even a lot of like mainstream, more like liberal civil rights groups were like, this will not be helpful. Um, but whatever, you know, that was his big plan of how to fix racist policing in this country. Um, and then he later announced his administration wasn't even going to pursue that anymore. Um, and instead, they're putting all their efforts towards passing what's called the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which is, again, a pretty minimal act. Um, I honestly think it's like very offensive to put George Floyd's name on something that's like this, like nothing. I completely agree. When, when I was um, reading that, I didn't know this existed. And I was just like, what? Yeah, the fuck? it's like, uh, it's literally just like trying to use it's like get his name out of your mouth, literally. Yeah, um, literally. But basically, the things it would do are kind of like the eight can't wait type of things. It's like banning chokeholds, um, increasing funding for body cameras, very slightly limiting the amount of military equipment that local police departments are allowed to have, um, and doing several things to make it easier to prosecute killer cops. Um, I think we don't have time to get into why all of these measures are not likely to be very effective and are mostly just for show. Um, but I think a couple of quick things to note here. One is that chokeholds are already banned in many places in the U.S., and yet they are still used to kill and injure people. Um, and two, cops frequently borrow military equipment from local military bases and storage facilities. So making it so that they can't literally own it does not actually mean that they're never going to use it. Um, it's also weird to be like, these weapons are so extreme that they should never be used on U.S. citizens, but it's totally fine to use them on people who live outside the U.S. Um, but anyway, point being, it's not like this was a great law, but Biden still has not even managed to get this passed. I think it's not a great sign when even like the small, mostly for show thing that Biden has supposedly made his top priority when it comes to policing is not even able to get through Congress. It's bad. It's really fucking bad. <clears throat> sorry. Still just getting over COVID. COVID over here. Um, speaking of things that are bad. Speaking of things that are bad, having COVID. It's bad. I don't recommend it, but, you know. Because the military is basically international cops, I wanted to talk about the frickery that the Biden administration just signed into law. Um at the end of 2021, Biden signed the National Defense Authorization Act into law, authorizing $768.2 billion in military spending. This massive increase in military spending after he ended the 20-year war in Afghanistan. Again, just think about what that means for the U.S. military budget to be expanded by billions of dollars when there's one less war we are fighting. A whole bunch of that money is supposed to go towards efforts to help defend Taiwan from China. Now, we don't have enough time to get into that political arena in depth, but suffice it to say, Hawaii and Puerto Rico have been wanting political freedom for very similar reasons uh, from the U.S. government to no avail. But yeah, let's go ahead and spend insane amounts of money on things that don't benefit everyday people in a time of crisis. 
Um, it's also important to note that the number one polluter as an entity in the whole world is the U.S. military. So expanding, like, you'll often hear that, like, the U.S. is the second largest polluter in the world. And that is, like, if you're, co- like, comparing countries to countries. But if you're comparing, like, actual entities, the U.S. military is the number one polluter. Um, so expanding the military budget not only takes away funding from imperative climate change action, which we're about to get into, such as those proposed in the Build Better Act, Build Back Better Act, but it also directly amplifies the climate crisis. Congress could also free up some more uh, cash by, you know, canceling the sea-launched nuclear missile that the Navy says is it has no use for, or by simply not adding additional funding for for an additional F-35 that no one asked for, or by just, I don't know, keeping the military budget the same instead of expanding it in a time of quote peace yeah i actually think it's good that we have marines learning to land on aircraft carriers at sea using jetpacks instead of having functional air filtration systems in u.s schools so (laughs) agree to disagree laura wow i i didn't know we were going to have our biggest fight yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's 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 like literally when i was reading what this military budget was proposed to go for it 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 is lunacy. It's lunacy. So, as promised, we're going to kind of talk about some climate change shit. So, I feel like I'm always doing this, like, background on climate science, science, but I was an environmental student, and I feel like I just need to. So, at the end of 2021, scientists presented satellite data showing that a floating piece of ice off the coast of Antarctica was beginning to splinter. This has the potential to be extremely disastrous to our global climate for a number of reasons. For starters, our ice caps are one of those planetary modulators that keep our planetary systems in check. The white snow and ice helps reflect sunlight and keep the planet cooler. However, with more ice melting, that sun is now being absorbed into the ocean, creating an amplifying feedback loop where the ice is melting at faster and faster rates. This not only increases the overall temperature of the planet, but it increases the ocean levels to dis- to dangerous heights that can decimate island and coastal communities. In addition, that water w- that was in ice was fresh water, um, so not contaminated by salt. Once it dips into the ocean, it becomes salinated and no longer available for human consumption unless it goes through a desalination process. Finally, a very critical piece of all of these chain reactions is the way that wind moves around the globe will be altered. So, for example, the reason why Europe tends to be more temperate than its like latitude counterparts in the Western Hemisphere is because of the winds over the Atlantic Ocean bringing warmer air from the south. With rising waters, these winds will undoubtedly shift in ways that we can't really comprehend. So this is all important to note because the Build Back Better bill, which was basically shut down by Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who has ties to coal, is effective is was effectively Biden's climate policy. Yeah, just to like jump in here, it might be worth like briefly touching on what those like ties to coal actually look like. Totally. 
Um, the Rolling Stone recently did like a whole profile on him and his corrupt dealings, which is like worth reading in and of itself. Um, but they estimated that he's made at least $5 million from his dealings in the, with the coal industry in the last 10 years. Um, also of note, in the 1980s, he founded a company, his shares of which are now in a quote unquote blind trust. There's a lot of evidence it's not so blind and that company brokers coal waste. Um, and if you're wondering like, oh, I wonder who runs the company now since it's not, uh, you know, Joe Manchin III, Senator from West Virginia. Um, the answer is a guy named Joe Manchin IV, uh, <laughs> Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia's son. So yeah, definitely ties to coal. We hate to see it. <laughs> so if the decision holds, meaning if this uh, build back better bill does not pass, then Manchin has virtually sealed the planet's fate. Not to be extra dramatic, but that's literally where we're at at this point. The world is all but guaranteed to warm by more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above its pre-industrial temperature by 2040. The legislation earmarked $555 billion for renewable energy and clean transportation incentives over a decade in the country's largest climate change investment ever. These policies are crucial for Biden's goal, or supposed goal, of cutting greenhouse gas emissions 50 to 52 percent by 2030, compared with 2005 levels. And still, even though that goal may not be even that goal may not be enough to avoid climate change's most destructive impacts, as climate scientists warn. The planet has already warmed by about 2 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.1 degrees Celsius. Programs in the Build Back Better plan are designed to tackle two large sources of emissions, transportation and electric power. Homeowners would get incentives to install, install rooftop solar and insulate their homes to become more energy efficient. Clean energy companies would receive tax rebates from, for manufacturing in the United States since China currently produces a majority of solar panels worldwide. And by the way, there is a like very real economic argument for the importance of the United States being a leader of manufacturing these things because the economic system that people in the United States are most fearful of is China and China is doing very well in this uh, regard in in its infrastructure and in the, that type of building. It's also a big polluter, but they are doing um, this this work that we are not. Okay, yeah, we already talked about Manchin and his his fucked up coal business. But yeah, he basically took issue with several climate provisions in the Build Back Better um, over months of negotiations. And earlier in the year, he pushed to strip another en clean energy program from the bill, the $150 billion clean electricity performance program would have pushed to get electric utilities to use carbon-free power sources, but that was removed from the bill directly because of this fucking senator. The cost of this project, which would have major benefits to the world and country as it relates to climate change and, you know, job creation and things like that, has been called too expensive. But again, I just want to point out that the military budget increase was literally more <laughs> than what this life-saving infrastructure change would cost. And we're fucking running out of time. <laughs> yeah, so... 
after that reality check, I thought it might be nice to close <laughs> on something that could be positive, um, which is currently going on with the administration, which is a push for a new voting rights bill. Um, and Biden announced earlier this week in Atlanta that he is pursuing voting rights legislation to combat the state level voter suppression that Republicans have been engaged engaged in for like you know, I mean, since Nixon, at least, but like, especially since the Supreme Court gutted the original Voting Rights Act, you know, a few years ago, if we want to trace voting, voter suppression, really, we can go back to the beginning of the United States. But I digress. Um, <laughs> the problem Doctor, is that historian, yes. <laughs> there is a problem here, which is related to what Laura was just talking about, which is that the Dems don't have 60 votes to get through a filibuster in the Senate, which is would certainly come because Republicans obviously don't want people to vote. Um, And yeah, that would stop the bill. Um, Biden has hinted that he is potentially willing to call for a filibuster exception if that was what needed to happen to get this bill passed, Um, which again, I I have to ask, where was this energy for Build Back Better? Right. Um, But it's worth noting that he's still not on the level of abolishing the filibuster, which is like obviously where he needs to get if he wants to accomplish like literally anything <laughs> before Congress inevitably flips um, during the midterms because he's accomplished nothing. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, obviously, like we are the state of voting rights in this country is abysmal. And like we I think I can speak for us on this podcast. We at Season with a Bitch are in favor of, of voting rights. You know, I don't think anybody would disagree with me on that. True. I <laughs> I obviously hope that this bill gets passed. Does it like, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, so it's not probably worth getting into all the specifics, but like um could be worth talking about in a future episode if it if it looks like it's going somewhere. Um but you know, I hope this passes. Um, and at least we're actually having a conversation about the filibuster. Um, people who have listened to, uh, you know, the last 10 minutes of this episode will not be surprised to learn that Joe Manchin is against getting rid of the filibuster in any context. (laughs) So whether or not we'll even be able to get a filibuster exception for this is like very up in the air. Um, so yeah, all I have to say is that like the Republicans would never allow somebody like Joe Manchin to derail their entire, um, policy, um, you know, plans. And I actually think Joe Manchin is like very convenient for the Democrats because they can be like, oh, we can't do anything because of Joe Manchin. It's like, bitch, yep. did you even want to do anything? Right. Um, and so we've talked a lot about Joe Manchin in this episode called Fuck You Joe, but I think it applies to multiple Joes. You it know? does. <laughs> so true. Fuck it, all Joes. Yes. <laughs> Anti-Joe podcast. Yes. I I think um just like a, a final thing. I think that the main thing that we're trying to get across here is how fucked up our electoral political system really is in many ways. And in particular, we're pointing out, like, obviously, we think the Republican Party is bad. I hope that goes without fucking saying. <laughs> like, obviously, we think the Republican Party is bad. We we are not standing. Um, however... I think that the Democratic Party is like fucking dangerous as hell. And I think that it's really important to to look at these things, look at the ways in which these people who claim to have our best interest in need uh, or in heart and like 
have like these uh, more progressive values are really, uh, you know, part of the master's house, right? Um, We cannot be lured into this idea that these changes are going to come without us fucking fighting the system every step of the way. Those changes that are possibly going to happen in Chicago are a direct result of teachers and students walking out of their of their classrooms. And that is going to continue to be the only way that we can create change um, in this fucked up system. And I just I think it's just important to remember that you don't owe anyone um, you don't owe Democrats shit. Basically, they will try like I feel like when rhetoric comes around of like, oh, are you going to vote for this person? It's like, listen, you can say that all day long. But at the end of the day, there has been nothing done. There has been nothing done. And we cannot like be lured into this like false sense of security by uh, continuing to accept this shit. I just want to go to brunch, though. (laughs) (laughs) I want to I want the military budget to be expanded, but like it to have a queer flag on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, more women pilots. Um, No, that's that's a really good point, Laura. And I think like part of what motivated us to do this episode is just like seeing the number of things where it's like such a crisis and it seems like there's such an obvious answer that like like we talked about even in some ways like Trump literally did more to respond to that it's like obviously our expectations are like on the floor for the Democratic Party but like even I think they've even managed to like not meet our rock bottom (laughs) expectations in a lot of these cases where it's just like I do think it's a good reminder that like even I don't know with like the 2020 uprisings we saw like a second of politicians pretending they care about this and now they're kind of just like back to not even pretending to care about it um it is just a really good reminder that a lot of these changes are coming from direct action from strikes and like workers taking different actions that that is then pushing very minimally in a lot of cases, the democratic party to make some changes, but those things will not continue and will not happen if people don't continue to push for them. Um, And like, you know, regular ass people, not politicians. Well said y'all. Hell yeah. Well, you know, instead of uh, supporting... Instead of voting, instead vote of, with your dollars. <laughs> instead of supporting your local politician, I don't fucking know. Uh, if you're but, in line to get into the season of the bitch Patreon, stay in line. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, you should, you should pay us because, like, we're bringing you this hot content. We're going to continue to do so. Um, as the world continues to crumble before our very eyes. So <laughs> um, you can do that at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. We've got a discord. We've got shit coming down the pipes, uh, reading group, movie nights, etc. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at season of the bee. There's some piping fresh content there all the time, really. Um, and you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Five stars only, please. (laughs) 
<laughs> Listen, take care of each other and yourselves because that's all we can really do out here. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Bitch.